It's on. Woo. A little bit of fizz, but we're still good. Ladies and gents, what is going on? We are back with another episode of The Covert Show. Nick going solo once again here. We'll move that away. We're sounding a little loud here in the headset, but welcome back to it. We got me, like I said, we're going solo again, and we're recording this at midnight on on Thursday, September 22nd. Would you expect anything less from anybody on The Covert Show staff of recording a late-night episode if you if you think if you think we'd record early, well, you're wrong. We like to record late. We like to have a little bit bit of fun. And so, you know what? We're going to start it off hot. We're going to start it off where everybody's going. We got some NFL talk jumping in right off the gun here. So, week 2 was a wild one, everybody. I mean, your fantasy teams were going off the charts. You had guys getting hurt, you had guys coming into play. And as I take a sip, we got a we got some just normal bush lattes on the show for the night, and that's how we usually do it, but take a quick sip there as we get ready to go. So, starting off from last Thursday on September 15th, we had the Chargers and the Chiefs, and that game did not disappoint. Ends up being a three-point win for the Chiefs, 27-24. Justin Herbert had 334 yards, and I mean, he was hurt too. I mean, Justin Herbert got hurt, he got a shot to the ribs, and he threw a, a pick at the end of the game that was just, it proved to be fatal for the Chargers. Not something that you want to see coming out of a quarterback like that who's supposed to be a very, very high caliber, but you know what? It happens to the best of them. Chiefs, like I said, ended up pulling out the win. The Chargers have Jacksonville coming up this week, so should be an easy, easy skid for them, but you know what? The Jags decided to pop off. I mean, let me tell you, the Colts... Ended up getting shut out by the Jags. Trevor Lawrence had 235 yards of passing. Jacksonville ends up just sliding past them, 24 to zip on that Sunday, September 18th. Going around the scores for the area, the Jets ended up winning by one against the Browns, 31 to 30. Detroit ends up pulling away big over Washington, 36 to 27. Carson Wentz still the passing leader in that one, oddly enough. When your quarterback has 337 yards passing and you lost, that's huge. I mean, think about think about it this way. Your quarterback is is going off. He's trying to pop off his best game, and all of a sudden you just cannot be able to pull out the win. Detroit's defense was still proven to be very, very big in that one. And also the – or the wow, that would have been bad. The commanders, excuse me, ended up getting their first couple of scores in the second half. They had 15 in the third and then 12 in the fourth. Otherwise, Detroit was just a score machine last weekend. 12 in the first, 10 in the second. And then going into the second half, they had only 14 points, seven in the third, seven in the fourth, getting that win. Jared Goff had four touchdown passes on that whole weekend. And, I mean, good for him to be able to start kind of getting the Lions back to a little bit of a, a similar offense under Matthew Stafford. It's still a little bit shaky. They don't got their big guys. But, I mean, you know what? Jared Goff tried to do the best that he can. Going now to Tampa Bay, big old fight in Tampa Bay or in New Orleans, as there was a bunch of shoving. Evans was, I believe, the one who started it for Tampa Bay. But you know what? Neither here nor there. There was a bunch of big shoving. Tom Brady was even even getting lippy with some Saints players, but he still pulls out the win, twenty to ten, in New Orleans. So Tom Brady, the dynasty still continues, and Tampa Bay just still looking strong as ever. I mean. 19-3 over the Cowboys in Week 1, 20-10 here in Week 2, and then they got the Packers coming up on Sunday at 325. That's going to be huge for them. I mean, you got Aaron Rodgers, you got Tom Brady, arguably two, or arguably two of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. You can argue the fact that, yes, Aaron Rodgers does have the numbers, but he doesn't play like it at times. That first week is always a little bit shaky for Rodgers, and it did prove fatal for the Packers in that first week. And... 
I mean, it should still be a very good matchup. Tampa Bay's defense still one of the top in the NFL. Moving down the list here, the Giants ended up beating Carolina 19-6. Baker Mayfield is – or 19-16. Baker Mayfield 0-2 starting with the Panthers. I mean, that, that thing is – that's huge. And, I mean, he doesn't have the best offensive weapons. Last week, Baker Mayfield 14-29 – his passing has been been a little bit shaky at best. He's not able to get his enough time in the pocket. He's he's throwing some wild throws, a lot of overthrows at least as well. 145 yards, one touchdown. Daniel Jones last week, 22 of 34 with 176 yards of passing and then one touchdown as well. Saquon Barkley, 21 carries, only 72 yards for 21 carries. Typical for the NFL a little bit. But you know what? He was still able to help his offense get it done the best that they can. Christian McCaffrey had 15 carries for 102 yards as well on the day last week. So, moving it right along here. Pittsburgh and New England. Big old fight there as Mac Jones and the Patriots get it done. 17-14. to And then Pittsburgh plays literally today on Thursday September 22nd, they've got the Browns coming to town, or they go to Cleveland to take on a Browns team without Baker Mayfield. But the Patriots on a one or on a one on one start, they lost to the Dolphins in Week One, 20 to seven. And here's here's the big thing that I do want to talk about because I'm going to switch it right to the Dolphins game right now because Miami played Baltimore last week, and RC, whenever he listens to this show, is going to be a little salty on this one because we were texting back and forth on that game as well. Baltimore led this game 28 to 7 going into the half. 28 to 7 going into the second half. Coming out then the Dolphins decided in the fourth quarter Tua was, you know what? We got a bunch of broken coverages. We're going to make these throws. Tyreek Hill and Jaden Waddle went off. And I mean just it was an absolute bloodbath with those two. Tyreek Hill had two touchdown catches. Last week, he had on 11 receptions, he had 190 yards. And then Jalen Waddle also had a few touchdown catches there. And that that dynamic receiving core, I mean, you get two guys, you got the speed of Tyreek Hill, the route running from Tyreek Hill, and then you throw in Jalen Waddle in the mix, the former Alabama receiver who was one of the, arguably, besides Jerry Judy, one of the top route runners in the SEC at the time, also one of the just top speedy receivers at the time. You throw two dynamic speed threats in there, fantastic route runners, great hands, and, I mean, you're going to get an opportunity for some offensive success there. Two interceptions last week from Tua, but still he had 469 yards of passing, six touchdowns through the air. Lamar Jackson still getting it done. He had three touchdowns, and then he had 318 yards, but still... Defense for Baltimore absolutely got blown away in that second half. The Dolphins start 2-0 this season. It'll be amazing to see what they can do. They got the Bills this week coming up against Josh Allen and that just high-powered Bills offense with Stephon Diggs and the quarterback himself who loves to stiff arm. I mean, if you have seen some of Josh Allen's highlights in the last two weeks, he hurdles a defender, he stiff arms a Rams defender just straight to the ground, he's running, he's smiling, he loves the contact, he is an absolute dog. And that was the big thing that I was, I talked about on one of my college shows, is Josh Allen's going to be that quarterback that comes in and decides who he wants to be. And going into Wyoming, Josh Allen had no other offers out at, in college. He put in for every single school in the country. And then Wyoming decides to say, you know what, we'll take a chance on this guy. We'll put him at quarterback. We'll see what he does. He's he's tall. He's 6'5". He's a big boy. What's he going to be able to do for our offense? Well, 
He was able to run the ball. He was able to throw it deep with accuracy. He was able to just light up the boards. Ends up getting drafted by the Bills, and everybody said, "Okay, this this what are we what are we going to do?" He was from Wyoming. He had a couple of bad decisions on throwing the ball with a little bit of ball or with a little bit of insecurity when it comes to giving the ball away. And so now he gets to the Bills, and he has done fantastic in his first few years. And I think that Josh Allen is going to be one of those guys that the Bills need to. Bills need to keep healthy because he could bring them their first Super Bowl ring. You you take the four falls of Buffalo when they had Joe Kelly, and you take that whole entire team that they had for four straight years and losing four straight Super Bowls back in the early or back in the late nineties, mid mid late nineties. I mean that is just one of the saddest things to see as a sports fan. And Bills Mafia is still rocking. Bills Mafia is still doing things. I mean, coming into that game last week against Tennessee. Tennessee is just, they're ready to come into this game. It was a good game in the first quarter, but then all of a sudden Buffalo just decided to go off 41-7. Buffalo takes over Tennessee. A big couple of turnovers there um, really gave Tennessee Tennessee no edge in that. I mean, they look just outmatched and outgunned, and I think the Bills and the AFC East are going to be able to get it done this year. I mean, they do have a very competitive AFC side still, but, I mean, you take a look at just how dynamic this Bills offense is and what their defense is still capable of doing with turnovers. So take that into consideration as you will. That was on Monday night. The other Monday night game, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles ended up just tearing apart Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Dalvin Cook able to go nowhere Jalen Hurts looking like he is still the Alabama quarterback that everybody thought he was. And, I mean, they had trouble against the Lions. It was 35-30 or 38-35 to in week one. Had a little bit of some struggles. Come, coming on a good team against the Vikings, who's supposed to be arguably one of the better teams in the NFC North. And just a very, very big dark horse pick. But Philadelphia off to a 2-0 start. They're able to get it done. They had 17 straight points in the second quarter. And, I mean, they're they're looking to be be that big statement there. And so Jalen Hurts got to stay healthy, got to be able to make things work, and I think he's doing a fantastic job with the receiving core that he has. He's able to still run the ball as well. He reads defenses insanely well, so he's just dishing it out whenever he can. Moving it through right along here, we talked about Baltimore, we talked about Miami. Coming down to the Rams and the Falcons, L.A. beats beats Atlanta. Excuse me, I'm stuttering a little bit. L.A. beats Atlanta 31-27. San Francisco, the big story of the week. Trey Lance gets hurt. Who are they going to rely on? Well, somebody found his helmet on the sidelines. Jimmy Garoppolo ends up getting in, and Jimmy Garoppolo decides, you know what? The Seahawks got lucky in week one. I'm in now. What are we going to do? As he led his team to a playoff last year, did fantastic, and things just going up for Jimmy Garoppolo. 13 of 21 so far last weekend. He had 154 yards, one touchdown, and he looked. He didn't look like he missed a beat at all. He's got uh, Debo Samuel out there as well, and I mean that that's the biggest thing. He's got Debo Samuel. He's got Brandon Ayuk, and then um, just what he's able to do with the football is nuts. You you would think a guy that gets Gets the backup job, hasn't played a snap. He got less reps in preseason. And now he's doing everything that he can to, to help his team out. Able to beat a very good Seahawks team with a backup of Geno Smith, who in week one looked 
unbelievable against the Broncos. I mean, he was throwing dimes down the field, able to find very, very open receivers, obviously, but still able to slip the ball in tight coverage. Geno Smith last weekend threw one interception, but still, 24 of 30, he had 197 yards, and he was able to get it done. And, of course, there was the trick play. The trick play that is blowing up social media at the moment, where... It was reversing the outside edge, flea flicker all the way across, or pass back all the way across to Geno Smith, and then throws it all the way down to DK Metcalf, which sadly was a flag. But DK Metcalf, an absolute dog of an athlete, just unbelievable catch, one-handed over San Francisco defender. Like I said, the flag negated it, and San Francisco still pulls away with that with a big 20-point win margin. Dallas Cowboys end up beating Cincinnati. And the the Joe Burrow Super Bowl train derailed. I mean, the Bengals have not been able to get on just any sort of a start. Cincinnati starts out 0 for 2. They lost to the Steelers 20 to 3 in a close game. They lost to the Cowboys close 20 to 17. I mean, hey, I feel it. I'm a Nebraska fan. If I'm Joe Burrow, oh boy. And he was supposed to go to Nebraska. And, I mean, he would have suffered a couple of more one-point losses than he just had in the first two weeks. So, I mean, you take a look at Joe Burrow. He's still, I think, personally the same Joe Burrow there. He just needs to be able to get the Bengals on on track. He still has 537 yards total so far this season, three touchdowns, and he's still able to get, get where he needs to be. And I think that's going to be the, the big part is how are they able to bounce back. They've got a game against the Jets coming up this week. They've got the Dolphins next and then the Ravens. So he's got two very tough games after the Jets to see if they're able to bounce back and see if they can pick up a little bit of some some wiggle room there. See if they can get back on. But the Cowboys, starting 1-1 one one this year so far, they ended up losing, like I said, game one earlier to Tampa Bay 19-3 and then pick up this win. They got the Giants and then the Commanders coming up and then a very, very tough game against the Rams who are still – Still on that run here after winning the Super Bowl. So we'll see with that what Dak Prescott and the Cowboys are able to do coming up in the weeks down the road. Denver gets a win over Houston. Was it pretty? Oh, no. Week one struggles continued into week two as the Broncos able to finally get a win out here. They ended up scoring 10 points in the second half in the fourth quarter, but it was all field goals in this game. I mean, as a Bronco fan, it was tough to watch. I mean, still, their their red zone struggles continue to baffle anybody. Why can't we get the ball across across the goal line? Why is Russell Wilson not, not able to do it? You have a very dynamic quarterback in Russell Wilson, and he's not able to do it. You have running backs who fumble on the one in week one. I mean, both running backs fumble on the one-yard line or in the red zone. I mean, that's just tough. Denver is trying to find a way to be able to score in the red zone, and within their own five-yard line, to be to be frank. Denver cannot score when they are within 10 yards of the red zone, when they're for, or 10 yards from the goal line. When they're farther back, they do a little bit better. But still, field goals continue to be the death of the Broncos when it comes to the red zone offense. They had two field goals in the first quarter. They had one in the first, one in the second, and then they ended up getting a touchdown finally in the fourth, pushing, back the te- or pushing past the Texans 16-9. to and, I mean, I've, I've talked to a few other Bronco fans. It, it's just not looking pretty. There's there's doubts about Russell Wilson. There's doubts about the receiving core. Jerry Judy, questionable day-to-day. Sertan is day-to-day as well. So I, or, or Sutton is day-to-day as well. So, I mean, that that's going to be a problem. 
for the Broncos. If they can't get their receiving core, if they can't protect Russell Wilson and give him time, I mean, the offensive line is just not doing a job. Wilson's getting hit. He's having to roll all the way out of the pocket. And, I mean, he is he's fighting for his life back there. And we everybody thought that, yeah, the line was going to be a little bit shaky, but we'd be able to, to block with a good quarterback. Well, right now it's not looking good for the Broncos as we'll break down their next coming up games here soon. And then the, the Raiders and the Cardinals decided to give the fans in Vegas just an absolute show. Derek Carr is now 0-2 on the season, lost to the Chargers week one, comes into week two, and they thought they had this game. Going into the second half, the Raiders were up big. It was 23-7 coming into the or coming or it was 20 to nothing coming into the second half. They get a 20 to or 23 to 7 lead. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, Kyler Murray decides to go off. A little bit of help from AJ Green, but just a little bit of help from Kyler Murray. A 20-second scramble, nonetheless, for a rushing touchdown in that fourth quarter. 20-second scramble of just him running around, unable to find an open receiver. Finally takes it into the left side corner of the end zone. And then finally gets that two-point conversion. We go to overtime. Well, in overtime, Cardinals get the ball back first. They push down the field. Unable to get it done as they tried to go for it on fourth. Derek Carr and the Raiders get the ball back. And everybody was like, all right, this might this might be, be game here. Throw out to Hunter Renfro. He gets absolutely leveled. Ball comes out. Scoop and score for the Cardinals. 72-yard scoop and score, nonetheless. Arizona had to work for that scoop and score, and they did so. End up winning 29-3 to as they get that final score in overtime. Kyler Murray last week, 40, or 31 of 49, 277 yards of, of passing, one touchdown, and then one interception as well. Derek Carr on last week. Still looking like the Derek Carr that he usually does. 25 of 39. 252 yards passing through the air, and then he had two touchdowns as well. But still, that Cardinals offense, they are now 1-1. One one. Derek Carr and the Raiders are 0-4-2. Carr and the Raiders have the Titans coming up next, and then they've got the Broncos coming up in Week 4, so that should be hopefully a good game in a battle for the AFC West. And we'll, we'll have to see how that goes, because, I mean, that, that AFC division is, is stacked. Quarterback-wise, is very, very stacked. You've got Carr. You've got Mahomes, you've got Justin Herbert, and then, I mean, just, just looking at it. I mean, what? Who else are you going to try to to deal with there in that league? I mean, statistically, you have some of the best quarterbacking offense in the division within just one whole, one whole half of the conference. So, I mean, that that is huge. And especially when you have some of the best receivers in that league as well. Or not receivers, I should say. But still, when you have some of the best, at least, defensive secondaries, and then you have a very, very good offensive line, except you might want to throw the Broncos out on that one. But looking at that, the passing game is what's going to be be the death of that league on that AFC West. So that'll be interesting to see who comes out. If the Broncos are able to get on track with Russell Wilson, if the Raiders can bounce back after an 0-2 start, then we'll see how that pans out because last year it was a bloodbath a little bit. Besides, you throw the Broncos down there. Kansas City's still that front runner with Patrick Mahomes and that still offense that they have. And now finally you throw it to Green Bay and Chicago. Aaron Rodgers, and I'll say it, the Bears, he owns you, man. Aaron Rodgers is still just absolute stud in Chicago. I think if I remember the stat line right, since he took over – 
as quarterback for the Packers in that historic rivalry that's lasted since the beginning of the NFL. Aaron Rodgers, I believe, is 23-5 and now, or if not 24-5, and against the Bears, which has now surpassed any other quarterback as a win percentage against the Bears, now brought them back in contention of that of winning that series now they own that series Bears one-on-one Packers one-on-one Aaron Rodgers is still still getting it done the Bears just can't can't win against him Justin Fields they thought Justin Fields was going to be able to do it nope Justin Fields not able to do it and he struggled a little bit as well facing that defensive pressure still not able to kind of find his footing there as a quarterback in the NFL which is fine because not a lot of quarterbacks are able to get that first chance opportunity and just be able to pummel it. There are some guys that are very physical. Jay, or Fields, when he was at Ohio State, he would still run the ball, but Justin Fields was definitely a passing quarterback. You gave him time, and he is able to even throw throw balls unimaginable down the field and still hit, or still hit open receivers that are still covered, but he somehow makes them open. And his receivers definitely help, that, help him out, making catches. The Bears have the Texans coming up this week, and then they have the Giants coming up following week four. And now we throw it into week three because we got to break that down as well. And that should be this should be a very interesting week because, like I said, it starts off today or Thursday, depending on when you're listening to this. Cleveland takes on Pittsburgh at home. I personally think the Steelers will have this game. Cleveland has not really shown me anything too surprising. Got a whole new quarterback there. Justin Fields, I think, at the Bears should be able to beat Houston. That game is on Sunday. That starts off at your noon hour games. Tennessee and the Raiders, I think that this might be able to be a bounce-back week for Derek Carr and the Raiders. But if they're not able to protect him and their defense is just going to continue to give away points, I'm going to have to go Tennessee in this one. Granted, they still looked they still looked very, very sloppy against Buffalo, and they've got an 0-2 start as well. They lost to the Giants. Big whoop. And that's where I think if you actually take it, looking back at it now, I will take the Raiders. They've had a tougher schedule kind of coming off those first two weeks. They had the Chargers. They had the Cardinals. So I'm going to take Derek Carr and the Titan, or Derek Carr and the Raiders. Good Lord, I cannot speak today. I'm getting a little bit of dry mouth in here. But taking a look at it, I think just overall the Raiders are a much better team ball security-wise because Tennessee last week had a couple of turnovers. That proved to be very, very fatal, giving the ball back, and then there were scores off those turnovers. So that's the biggest thing. If Tennessee's going to turn over the ball, they have to prevent the big plays downfield, and last week they were not able to do so. So the Bills ended up getting great field position. Moving on to the next game at noon, Chiefs, Colts. Colts are out. Chiefs are in. Their defense is just unable to get stops. They have had now on the last since I had an auto draft on my defense – they had zero points in the last two weeks defensively. They have been just giving points away like Oprah Winfrey. So Kansas City going to be able to stomp through Indianapolis. Sorry, Colts fans. Matt Ryan and Sam Ellinger are not going to be able to help you out there. So, Bills and Dolphins. Bills and Dolphins. Oh, boy. I mean, I think the biggest factor is, is Tua going to be able to handle a defense like Buffalo? Is he going to be able to hand? And he was able to handle Baltimore well. Granted, as Colin Cowherd will say, he should be able to make those passes as an NFL quarterback. Hitting wide receivers like Waddle and Hill, when they are just open as the ocean, 
nonetheless, I'm not completely sold on the Tua hype train because he still has a lot to work on as an NFL quarterback. But in the, fir- in the first two weeks of this season, he has done significantly well, led his offense to two straight wins, ended up being one of the highest-scoring offenses so far this season, 42 points against the Ravens, 20 against the Patriots, so 62 points in total in the first week. That's huge. I don't care what you say. That's huge. That's, that's going to that's gonna promote good football. But when you're coming up against the Bills, whose turnover margin is insane, they're, they're such a good offense that if you don't keep them off the field, you will lose that game. And I think that Josh Allen is going to be the better quarterback. He's had much more experience in the NFL. He is, I think, all around the better quarterback, much better athlete than Tua Tungavailoa. Even though Tua is a little bit quicker, he did have that leg injury at Alabama that, that proved to hurt him a little bit, proved to hurt his draft stock just a touch. So now... You get a guy like Josh Allen in there who's big 6'5", 200-plus pounds, and he's able to move through guys easy like butter or a hot knife through butter. I think the Bills are going to be able to take this one away on the road. Dolphins take their first loss of the season, and Bills continue to push forward. But you know what? Crazier things have happened in the NFL. Detroit, Minnesota. I'm going to take Minnesota over Detroit. Granted, Jared Goff and the Lions had a good game beating the Commanders, but still... I don't think that they are the team to be able to to pull off an upset here. And sometimes the Lions have proved to be one of the toughest teams to play if you're if you're Minnesota. Just because you know that battle of the NFC North, you know how that schedule is just going to go. Because you'll be sloppy. Minnesota fans, my roommates have talked about it. When they play the Lions and they play the Bears, they play sloppy. It might be a totally different story this year. And I'm going to go with Minnesota on kind of a blowout. Their offense looks to be much better than it has in the past couple of years. They beat the Packers handily, 23-7. Coverage was there. Aaron Rodgers made a couple of interesting throws. But, I mean, still, you're when you're able to contain Aaron Rodgers and you're able to contain, granted, they were a young receiving core for the Packers, and they still are. They're a lot of first-year guys. But when you're able to contain that and you're able to actually put pressure up front on a quarterback like that, I'm sold. When you're not able to do it against Jalen Hurts, who's supposed to be now one of the league's best, I'm not so sold, but when you're against the Lions, I am sold. So Minnesota now has my vote coming in till week three to get a win. New England coming up against Baltimore, hosting Baltimore. Lamar Jackson in that just quote-unquote running quarterback does have a little bit of an elbow issue, is kind of skipping some practices as seen on some reports. But you know what? I still think that Lamar Jackson and them will be able to get it done I just don't think that New England is back to the same defensive power that they used to be. And without Tom Brady, they definitely struggle. Daniel Jones is okay as a quarterback. But he is not the type of guy, or Mac Jones, excuse me, he's he's going to be one of those types of guys that takes development, and you've got to be able to give him time to throw the ball down the field. He's not going to be a scrambler. He doesn't have the speed for that. He doesn't have the body for that. Because as you've seen in some of the pictures, if you look at Mac Jones after winning a title at Alabama, he just not the type of guy. But then again, everybody said that about Brady, and Brady didn't have to run that much. Brady just had a line that protected him, and look what he did. So Mac Jones could prove everybody wrong on that aspect of, if you just give me time, I'll throw it. If I need to run, fine, whatever. But he protects the ball. In the first two weeks, he has thrown two interceptions, but Mac Jones still protects the ball. Deep ball-wise, he's got great accuracy. He's able to scan the field. He gets he gets through his check progressions. 
So I think that Mac Jones is still a good weapon, but I think that Lamar Jackson and that Ravens defense will be able to turn it up. And you have to be able to stop the run with Lamar Jackson, especially if he's going to be having elbow injuries. You know what you have to stop. You have to make him throw through the air. So, but I still think that the Ravens are going to be able to get it done. They've got the Bills coming up next week after they deal with the Patriots. And that should be a very, very good game as well. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, we saw fireworks already against Tua and Lamar Jackson. So that should be interesting to see as well. Bengals and Jets. I think this is where Joe Burrow gets on track. Like I said, he's going to be able to have hopefully a good week, be able to get a little bit more protection. And Joe Burrow, I feel so bad for him. I believe it was in the playoff game last year. He was hit in the backfield 10-plus times, and he was sacked six times. I mean, dude, he can take hits. He likes the physicality. If you haven't seen the hit from UCF back in, I believe it was the Peach Bowl, oh, my goodness, dude. He can take a lick, and then that almost just pisses him off more. He's able to get the ball downfield. He's able to just run. He will lower his shoulder. He's not supposed to, and if you've seen his slide game, it's not the greatest at all because Joe Burrow really doesn't know how to not keep himself out of danger yet. He's learning. But I still think that Joe Burrow is going to be able to deal with the physicality. But I did see, I think it was Pat McAfee. He goes, dude, I don't know how as a quarterback you deal with this. Because, I mean, you're getting hit so much during a game that all, like, great quarterback Andrew Luck. He was tired of getting hit. He was hurting so bad. If you aren't able to keep a guy like Joe Burrow healthy, who can be your franchise quarterback, lead you back to another Super Bowl, possibly win you one if you weren't playing the Rams when they were playing with the devil's hand on that one, especially after getting Matthew Stafford. I mean, holy crap. You're you're seeing a team that is very, very good, struggling, but you're seeing a quarterback that just he needs help. He needs help up front. And it's not just saying that, oh, if he gets help, he'll be able to hit his throws better. It's no. Joe Burrow just needs healthy help to keep him on his feet, to keep him in games, and to make sure that the Bengals still have a chance. That's the biggest thing about it. You can argue that any quarterback, as long as he gets time, he's able to make good throws. Joe Burrow is able to make great throws because Joe Burrow is an athlete. He's a fighter. He's a competitor. He proves it. That's why everybody calls him uh, Joey Ice. I mean, if you literally just just see how this man plays, it is fantastic to watch how competitive he gets, and he doesn't care about the hits. He probably does, and he's probably begging his team to actually, you know, block. But still, taking a look at Joe Burrow and the Bengals, they get this now week three win. They're able to get a little bit back on track, and then they've got to go battle, I believe it's Miami. I just clicked out of the schedule. I apologize here. I got to be ready. Yes, it is Miami, and then they've got Baltimore. So they got two very decent defensive teams and two very good quarterbacks coming up in the next three weeks here. Philadelphia versus Washington. Jalen Hurts is going to be hard to stop, especially with his receivers. I personally think that Philly's just going to run through Washington. They are they are not the same team that everybody wants them to be. They are nowhere near it. They lost to Jacksonville, and I'll say it, or they barely beat Jacksonville, and then they lost to the Lions. And I'm sorry. I understand that everybody's going to be like, oh, you got to give them a chance. Trevor Lawrence is coming back up. Well, personally, you lost to Jacksonville, and or you beat Jacksonville barely, and then you lost to the Lions, who handled you, who last year, even with Jared Goff, struggled. So... I think that Philly's going to be able to take this game big. Jalen Hurts is going to go off for another week. So whoever has Jalen Hurts on fantasy, there you go. You've got another 
another few 20, 30 points on that one. New Orleans versus Carolina. Baker Mayfield goes over three. He is not looking sane on that Carolina offense. He he is just he's looking sloppy. Throwing it to the Browns game in week one. 16 of 27. He did have 235 yards, one interception, one touchdown. Throwing it to week two against the Giants. Losing by three. Baker Mayfield, 22 of 34, 176 yards, one touchdown. Underthrowing, overthrowing, not a, or excuse me, that was Daniel Jones. Baker Mayfield in week two. Not any better. 14 of 29. I mean, you you were much better on the Browns. You had a you had a better team on the Browns. You had a little bit more weaponry on the Browns and a little bit more time. But Baker has just not looked comfortable. Baker has just not looked the same with the swagger. He has not looked with the same mentality. He is struggling and he knows it. Panthers fans know it. They got Baker Mayfield coming off of spring training or coming off of spring camp. And they were like, oh, this might be the key. This might be the start that just switches over the ignition. We might actually get a little bit of gas flowing here. Well, he, uh-huh. yeah, Baker not looking the best right now. He is just not not the same Baker everybody thought. We thought the swagger would come with him, and it still does. But Baker Mayfield not getting the swagger done at the moment. So I think that the Saints and Jameis Winston – are going to be able to get it done. They beat the Falcons week one, and then coming with the Buccaneers, I mean, that's that's a tough team to face when you have Tom Brady on the other side who is just, when you put him on whatever team he's on, he's going to win a Super Bowl regardless, and I feel like that's just a true statement. I mean, you get get him on the first year at Tampa and you win a Super Bowl. You get him back to the playoffs as Tom Brady. I mean, good Lord. And he has Aaron Rodgers this weekend. He's got an absolute shootout. I think that the Packers defense is not going to be able to be able to stop Tampa Bay when you got Godwin in that or on that outside edge as a receiver. A great target to throw to for Tom Brady. I think that now Aaron Rodgers is going to have to step it up against a defense who is going to be able to beat his co- or beat with coverage. I don't think that he gets it done. He's been struggling with his new receivers, and he even says it. He doesn't want to play with freaking children. We get it. You are an experienced quarterback. You are a guy that is used to winning. You're a guy that is used to having balls caught. But you faced it last year, even with having the receivers that you did. You cannot make that excuse that you just despise playing with children. Make them better at practice. Work with them. You've still got Alan Lazard. You've still got Aaron Jones. You still have good enough playmakers to be able to become another playoff contention team, win that NFC North, get back get back to the playoffs, get back to a divisional championship. But I don't think you get it done against Tom Brady. I think that you're going to be putting too much pressure on yourself, and I think you're going to be trying to force throws that you do not need to make as a quarterback. So I think Tampa comes away with a win there, able to pull it out. The Broncos and the Niners in mile high. Jimmy Garoppolo coming in after the week he had. Russell Wilson coming off the two straight struggle weeks that he had. The Denver offense in the red zone unable 
to provide points and handily or win games handily that they should. In week one, it should have been a much better or a much, I would say, probably a much easier game if they weren't so undisciplined on the front line with as many false starts as they had. Undisciplined in the red zone when it comes to ball security with two fumbles on the within the five yard line. And then the the undisciplined up front. You're you're having your quarterback just scramble for his life and you're just not giving him an option within within the red zone, but nonetheless on the field. When you're having to send your punter out there and your defense is just constantly gassed, I mean, that that's a big factor in why you're not winning games. That's also a big factor on why you're not scoring is because you put so much pressure on the defense to be able to make a stop, and then as soon as you have to march down the field 95 yards, if you do make that stop, or you're just constantly having to be a revolving door, that's huge. It gives Russell Wilson no time to be able to watch film, no time to be able to kind of get his mind right. And granted, he's an NFL quarterback who has won a Super Bowl, been to the playoffs multiple times, he had to deal with it at Wisconsin. So, I mean, you take a look at his experience level. He should be able to be a guy that could get it done in Denver. Now with two guys day-to-day and your top receivers, I mean, that's going to be the biggest struggle is how are you going to be able to get the ball to everybody else and see if you can find playmakers. But I think Jimmy Garoppolo with Debo Samuel and then Brandon Ayuk, I, I think San Francisco ruins the party once again. The Broncos struggle in the red zone. Jimmy G gets it done with San Francisco. And now, the weird Monday night game. You got Dallas, and you got the Giants. Coming up next Monday, or should I say this Monday, the Giants are 2-0. Oddly enough, the Giants are 2-0. Saquon Barkley being the man in the backfield. Daniel Jones getting it done. One interception on the year, but three touchdowns through the air. And then now, without Dak Prescott, You've got Rush in the backfield, under center. And the Cowboys are still struggling. America's team, wonder why. Even with Dak Prescott paying him that much money, you were struggling. But now, I personally do think that the Giants are able to get it done, and they'll get their first 3-0 start in a hot minute. So, New York coming out big in week three, and that's kind of your big, that's your NFL rundown. I mean, it, it was a crazy week when it comes to the offenses last week. You had a lot of close games, a lot of high-scoring games, especially that Miami and uh, Baltimore game last week. I mean, you take a look at it, I don't think there's been that many high-scoring games so far or like in the NFL in the last couple of years that I've seen personally or that I can actually remember off of a stat sheet. So offenses are getting better. You've got a lot of good weapons kind of coming out in that receiving core. So it should be interesting to see how that continues. If two and the Dolphins can continue their momentum, Josh Allen and the Bills can continue their consistency. And if other teams can kind of come along through, deal with some rough patches and, and move on. So now, speaking of moving on, the MLB. Aaron Judge, excuse me, finally hits his 60th home run. And now edges his name in history, tying Babe Ruth. And the Yankees, though, as a whole? I mean, you had Aaron Judge hit his 60th home run last night, and you had Giancarlo Stanton win it on a walk-off bomb. The, the, the lead has dwindled, ladies and gentlemen. The Blue Jays are six and a half games back now so far in the American League East. 
the Tampa Bay Rays, after losing to the Astros the other night, they're eight and a half back. Baltimore is 13 back. They took a couple of games from Toronto. So, and then the Bo Sox went from that second place team to the fourth place team to to dead last in the American League East. They're 18 games back. They are officially still fighting, but should be out of playoff contention here soon. The Guardians able to take one away from the White Sox last night, and that was huge for them. They're six games up now on Chicago. The Twins are still battling. They got nine. The Royals are out. The Tigers are out. But Cleveland's sitting at the top of that American League Central, 82-67. and 67. The Yankees slow down. They have 90 wins on the air, but it took them a while to get there. They have been dealing with skids. They're finally kind of figuring it back out a little bit. They are winners of seven of the last ten. They're on a three-game win streak so far as well. Moving to that, American League West, the Astros. And wow, that car outside is loud. I got distracted. But the Astros ended up clinching against a big win with the Rays last week or earlier this week. They are now 99 and 51. They have a big lead over the Mariners, who are 17 back, still in that wild card contention. We'll break that down here in a second. Angels out with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. I mean, come on. You're 33 and a half games back in your in your division. And you're still not the worst team because the Rangers are 34 games back at 64 and 84. The poor Oakland A's are 43 and a half games back at 55 and 94. But still, I think it baffles every baseball fan to see two once-in-a-lifetime talents in Mike Trout and Shohei Otani not able to have a team success. Their personal ex- success is is out outrageous. You have Shohei Otani who still hits nukes and throws 100 off the mound. One of the first times that has ever happened. That is the first time that's ever happened in baseball and probably... I'm not going to say it's probably like an unlikely thing to ever happen again because it definitely is possible. Like with the amount of of talent coming through baseball, you're seeing a lot more two-way guys coming out of high school going into college. You're seeing a lot more guys from college going to two-way. And now in the MLB, how many other guys are going to be able to make that move? But how many other guys are going to be able to make that move with even half of the numbers of Shohei Otani. I mean, that that's the biggest factor is, are you going to be able to be, be so split-minded that you can be at that level? And also, if you're the Angels, please, next year, get, get these two men some help. Because they're, I guarantee you, Mike Trout, fan base-wise, is saying, well, I still want to be here. I still want to be that guy that everybody loves. I still want to be able to try to build this team up and, and get us back to somewhat of a playoff guy. And Mike Trout in the playoffs, we've seen, has not been the greatest. Does not have the best track record in in the playoffs. But again, you have only made the playoffs how many times within the last 20 years? I mean, it, it's the Angels are, are struggle-bussing. But hopefully they're able to get it back. Throwing it to the National League, both the Mets and the Braves clinched. And that that was huge because you had you had a clinch playoff berth there. So far, nobody has won the division yet. The Mets are now a game up on the Braves at ninety five and fifty six. The Braves are still back ninety three to fifty six. But I mean, when you have the team like this, and we're looking to see here now on the Mets schedule to see what they've got left, 
coming up here because this is huge. The Mets were able to take one away. And we'll throw it down here. There we go. We're finding we're finding it off. But the Mets now swept the Pirates, lost one to the Brewers six nothing. Now they go to Oakland for three straight games. They've got Miami. There's a bunch of hopefully easy wins for the Mets on that side. And then you close out the year in a three-game series against the Braves and the Nationals. We'll throw out the Nationals here in a second. Well, we'll just throw them out now because you now have probably one of the biggest series on the line here, depending on how Atlanta plays the rest of the year. When you've got a three-game series, and that goes to Atlanta. So the Braves are looking to hopefully try to close this out late if they can. I wouldn't think it would go to a 163. It might. But here, here's the biggest factor. There is an American League team coming to play the Mets. The Braves have the Phillies, the Nationals, the Mets, and then the Marlins. So what what does that say? You have three straight teams coming, or you have four straight to close it out in the NL. But you have the Phillies coming up, who are still in a wild card contention here, I believe. If I look at it, baseball has not, sadly, has not occupied my time. And I say that poorly as a baseball fan. Like, I, I feel sorry for myself that I have not been watching enough baseball this year. <clears throat> kind of closing out the second half of the season. College football took over, and I'm still looking. But, yes, the Phillies are still in a wild card contention. And then you have to be able to scave off those Mets. That series, I personally want Atlanta to win. I'm still riding the Braves World Series fan because I loved the team last year. I'm not going to be a bandwagon. I'm not going to. Excuse me, I'm not going to switch over to the Braves just because Freddie Freeman got his first ring and then got screwed over on the trade, but that's neither here nor there, but it's definitely here. Got screwed over on his trade deal, and then finally, you still have a team that is mostly the same as it was last year. Dansby Swanson carrying a very good offensive bat, Acuna carrying a good offensive bat, and now you have, have some weapons to be able to still do it again, and I think that the Mets with Scherzer still pumping. They're going to be a tough team to beat, and that, that series is going to come down to the wire. I don't believe it should come down to a 163, but there's a potential for it. Coming into the Central, you've got the Cardinals. They, they're completely winning so far in the NL Central. It's still not closed off yet. Nobody has clinched because the Brewers are 7.5 back. The Cubs are out. The Pirates are out. The Reds are out. But 7.5 games back. Cardinals still have a chance, looking at the Cardinals schedule right now, to be able to close it out and be able to get the get through the magic number here. They have the Padres with one more game as they've they've lost three straight. They're the Cardinals are on a little bit of a struggle bus here. They struggled against Cincinnati a little bit. <clears throat> they now have lost two straight to the the Padres, and this next game comes up tonight or today, or whenever you're listening on this Thursday. They have the Padres for one more game. If they lose that one, that's going to be a little bit of a shock, or a little, little bit of shock on the Brewer Nation of like, all right, we we we're still in this. You have the Dodgers for three straight, and then you go to the Brew or you go to the Brewers. You have a hard roadstead before you come back, face Pittsburgh, and then go away to face Pittsburgh. But these next five games are going to be so 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 crucial. You need to pick up this win against against San Diego. You need to be able to take at least, hopefully, two from the Dodgers, and then you cannot lose to Milwaukee. And looking at Milwaukee's schedule kind of coming up, just to see how this game would play out, because we always love it, they have 
the Reds coming up for four games in Cincinnati. You have the Cardinals. So now you really have to take take all four games against the Reds. And you can't afford to drop a game to the Cardinals because if the Cardinals kind of come out hot against the Dodgers, end up finding a way to win today, end up finding a way to at least take two from L.A., they're sitting pretty good in that driver's seat and should be able to move forward with it. So the Brewers have to beat the Cardinals twice. and I think the Brewers have to almost win out. Is it going to happen with baseball? No. Crazier things have happened. But, I mean, that that's just going to be one of those things where are the Brewers going to be able to close it down the stretch? If not, you're still in a very good wild card contention. So you can hold off, still bet on a playoff berth. As we go back here, I have to scroll all the way through my tabs, get back to it. Wi-Fi's being just a touch slow. You throw it to the NL West. What a shock. Dodgers were the first team to have 100 woods in baseball. And what a shock. They were the first team to clinch a division and clinch the best team in the National League. At 103 wins and 46 losses, the Dodgers still have not decided to slow down. Will they within the next five years? Will they within the next decade? I would say decade, but within the next five years, it just does not look like it. With the amount of middle-aged young talent that they still have, you have Freddie Freeman now. You added another building block with that. Pitching staff is still there. I think personally the Dodgers are going to be going to be back in the World Series. I don't see them going anywhere. I would say the one team that could possibly do anything against them would be the Mets, or the Braves coming back through that. That would actually be really fun to see in an LCS, Freddie Freeman facing the Braves. How would you how would you pitch that? I mean, he was last season one of the – he had probably the best postseason that I've seen in a, in a hot minute. And that was, Dan, that was against Daniel Murphy's postseason when he had almost, what was it, I think six or seven home runs in either seven or eight games. As a player, I mean, and that was with the Mets against against the Cubs. I think that was back in 2016, if I'm not, or 2015, or 2014, if I'm not mistaken. But the Padres are now sitting at 20 games back and in wildcard contention. The Giants, 31 games back. But nonetheless, I think that the NL Central could probably come down to a Braves and, and a Dodgers postseason. Because if you take a look at it here, the Braves are now eleven and a half up on the wild card. The Padres are now one up against or one and a half on the wild card. The Phillies are now that even team, and the Brewers are sitting there at two and a half back. So it it'll be it'll be very interesting. The Braves are already going to get one. Who is going to be able to catch the Padres? Because like I said, Cardinals have one more game against the Padres, and that was a big that was a big help for them to see how they are able to kind of continue to get that lead. If I take a look here at the schedule as we flip through, they've got the Rockies for two or for three. They've got the Dodgers for three, and then you go against Chicago, the White Sox, and then San Francisco. Need to be able to hold against the Dodgers at least take two. Cannot drop a game to the to the Rockies. You can maybe still afford to drop one of the Cardinals, but you need to at least take two from L.A. and see what else you can do. Meanwhile. It's all it's all shoots and shoots and ladders on here. If the Braves are able to flip it and get one or get up another game on the Mets, then the Mets will come back down. They'll drop in that National League spot at the top half of the wild card. Going to the American League, the Blue Jays ended up sweeping back monstrously. They're two and a half up on that wild card. They did lose one um, just earlier last night, I believe, and then Tampa Bay 
now has a half a game up at 82 and 67. The Mariners are still fighting close. But look at this, ladies and gentlemen. Who would have thunk it? Who, who would have thunk it? Nobody. Our good old JC didn't even think it. The Baltimore Orioles are sitting there at four games back in the wild card. Six games above 500 at 77 and 71. And that young talent for the Orioles is still continuing to baffle the minds. Adley Rutschman comes in. He had a home run the other night, and he is hitting fantastic. Gunnar Henderson gets pulled up, and he's doing pretty good as a Baltimore Oriole. And now you're still um, a game and a half up on the White Sox. Hopefully you can close that gap. Taking a look at the Blue Jays' schedule here, because the the Twins are going to be stuck in a hard spot as they're sitting back behind the White Sox. Taking a look here at the Blue Jays' schedule to kind of finish out the end of the season. You've got Tampa Bay. You need to take three out of four. The Yankees... That, that you If you can take three out of four against Tampa Bay and then you can at least take maybe two, get one, kind of force it around a little bit, but play them close, you're sitting back on how far are the Yankees going to be able to go on that streak. You can take a, or should be able to take all three from Boston. If not, you can maybe lose one. But then you come back against the Orioles. Holy cow. I mean, they do have a tough, tough end of the schedule here. You've got Tampa Bay, you've got New York, and then you've got Baltimore. You're sitting with one team that's hot on your heels on the wild card and then another team that's just catching fire and moving up through it. I mean, that's gonna, that's just insane. Baltimore is moving up the ladder, and nobody thought that we would be sitting here with that that idea in the back of our minds, that Baltimore was was able to get a couple of draft stock guys to come up and and punch it up through. They went two of three, or they lost two of three against the Blue Jays in last week's contests. Throwing it back down here. I missed the page. Gosh, dang it. Starting off in last week's contest, or on Friday, they dropped two of three against the Blue Jays. They dropped two of three against the Tigers, so now that's really sitting on the record. You've got a four-game stretch against Houston here who was already clinched. Then you got Baltimore, and then you got New York, and then you got Toronto. If you can take a couple games from Houston, great. If they can upset the Yankees, wonderful. I am all here on ruining a Yankee Day parade. But that crucial series on that last half against Toronto, if they have not clinched yet, that is going to be your your main concern, is are you going to be able to battle through? And I think personally, taking a look at this Oriole team, as they are catching fire as of late, as they have pulled up through that wild card standing, I think that you should be, be ready to go. And as of their last 10, they are 4 for 6 of their last 10. Blue Jays are 6 of 4. Tampa Bay is four of six, and so are the Mariners. I mean, the American League has kind of slumped off here. And as you look at it, all the teams that started off a little bit slow but still still very, very good contention teams are now starting to rise back up. Everybody that started hot, the Red Sox, the Yankees, dropping games like flies. The Red Sox completely missed the bubble. I mean, they fell off short, like way, 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 way short. They fell off hard short coming off that all-star break but that is your MLB rundown we're getting close to October the last games are coming up on October 4th so as you are getting into this month be sure next weekend to be watching baseball whether or not you're glued to it I'm going to be doing it as I'm sitting at a tree stand hopefully my boss doesn't hear this but I might be getting a little bit of score updates I don't got an Apple watch so if there's no deer coming by I'm going to be just taking a look at my phone and just saying like oh 
we got a good score update here. Moving right along to one of the segments at 11, we might keep it a little bit sporty on this. We're 55 minutes in, and I feel bad because we keep it sporty because one of the last times I talked about it, it was movies, and there are not a lot of movies kind of coming out that have intrigued my my interests, which everybody's like, well, aren't there a few? And I'm like, no, there, there really hasn't been. There is a new series on Netflix. Um, it's a it's a series about Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, and so my girlfriend was watching it earlier today. She said it was definitely like very, very intense. So there's a new series on Jeffrey Dahmer on Netflix. The new Star Wars series, uh, Andor has now dropped. There are three straight episodes of that. House of the Dragon. Oh, ho, ho, ho. So we might get into a TV tangent here. Hold on here. One second. Let me prepare myself for this TV tangent. House of the Dragon. If you have not started it, and you are a Game of Thrones fan, you are missing out. I mean, <clears throat> you really, really are missing out. It, it is action-packed, and I mean, it keeps you so just on the edge. Because last night's episode, or the other night's episode on Sunday, that came out. I'm not going to spoil. And Twitter has probably done that for you already. TikTok has done that for you already if you're a Thrones fan. Oh, tensions were heated. I mean, you you felt the tension from the beginning of the episode. And then it just did not stop. It got to the point to where you immediately saw the doors open and the walking down the steps. And you're just thinking, oh, and you if you're a Thrones fan and you still didn't know what some of these signals meant. And you found out later, and you're just sitting there like, oh, no, this is bad. You found out what those signals meant, and they are god-awful. But great for the series, because it's going to be great TV entertainment. But, I mean, House of the Dragon, the action is great. The cinematography is still there from the original Game of Thrones series. I mean, they have done a fantastic job with this, keeping everything in line, telling that story. So that's my short little rant, taking a look at that that aspect. Because, I mean... If you're, if you're even not a Thrones fan, you should start it. Because, I mean, you miss some of the characters that come in on the idea of, yeah, they're mentioned in Game of Thrones. It takes back some of the history and starts it out where they should be. It's set, I believe, 150 years before Daenerys Targaryen, the, the original Stark family that we know with um, Jon Snow, Rob Stark, Sansa Stark, Arya, and all of them. It's 150 years prior to that. But, I mean, it, it sets up the picture really, really nice. And then when you actually go watch it, if you haven't watched Thrones before, and you start with House of the Dragon, which is a great idea, but it, you start remembering where stuff is, and there's obviously clear spoilers kind of coming in, especially with the one that Joffrey gave away. Sorry, I'm going to spoil that one. But, nonetheless, give it a good watch if you're just kind of sitting there on, on Saturday night and you have, you've watched your college football. You've watched all your MLB baseball, and you're sitting waiting there, and you're not going to go out because you just want to have a a fun fall night at home. Pour yourself a drink. Go to HBO Max. If you got it, don't pirate it, but if you got HBO Max, turn it on. Go look at House of the Dragon. We love it. It's there. It's good. Throwing it back now, speaking of college football on a Saturday and fall, we're going to throw it back to week three of college football because, oh, boy, <clears throat> do we have some things to talk about because we even missed week two, and that was a struggle. This is the first thing that I want to talk about. 
because I still get baffled by this even before the playoff rankings come out because they're going to they're going to come out and it's going to piss me off. Oh boy, where do I even start with this? I I'm just okay. I'm going to I'm going to pick this one apart here really fast. Georgia, number 1 the team in the country, well deserved. Probably a much better offense than Georgia even had last year. Stetson Bennett just looks unstoppable. But here here is the one thing. I'm I'm going to say it. They played an Oregon team who got a big upset winning in or I wouldn't say it. I mean they they beat I believe. Oh my gosh, I'm going to mix up my schedules here cuz it's just there's been so much going on within college football. They beat a very very good BYU team who was ranked 12th in the country who then lost to Baylor. But, I mean, you take a team who gets blown out by Georgia. And Oregon not really known for their their defense as much, but it was going to be interesting to see how Oregon was so hyped up at the beginning of the year and seeing how Stetson Bennett was going to come back after winning a national title. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you to you right now, Stetson Bennett doesn't care what rank you are. That Georgia Bulldog offense does not care who you are. They are the best offense in the country, hands down. All around defensively, hands down. As a team, hands down. Kirby Smart has done an amazing job at keeping that consistency throughout the last few years, and he will do so until he is looking at a new contract extension. Now, the number two team in the country. The number two. Who we have seen teams drop after one-score game wins, only one-score game losses. But here's the biggest factor. When you have a name such as Alabama, and I'm going to be petty about it because it has royally annoyed me every single year that Alabama, as soon as they either get a sloppy win or they lose, it is only one to two drops in the rankings. Granted, you beat Utah State 55 nothing. Fine. You're supposed to. You're Alabama. If you lose that game, I hope you drop out of the top ten. Honestly, I hope the God Bama would drop out of the top ten. If not, they drop 2-10. You beat the crap out of Louisiana Monroe 63-7. Fine. Like I said, you're Bama. You're supposed to. You can still make the same argument for this. Texas hosts Alabama. First time since 2010. Texas decides they want revenge and they want it bad. And I personally don't think I have seen a Texas team play so balls-to-the-walls contending as they did in Week 2 of college football against the University of Alabama. Saban was banging his head against the bleachers, the wall, the field. He did not know what to do. And this is where Bryce Young decides to pull out the Heisman stops and say, this is why I won the Heisman. This is why I'm still one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I'm looking to do it again. He was able to come up clutch, get away from a defender, run it down the field, and score on a last-second field goal. Now here's the catch. 
Alabama should have, and I will make the argument because a lot of people are on my boat about this, and if you're going to tell me that I'm wrong, go ask anybody that watched the play. Bryce Young got bailed out. It was a safety on multiple accounts, and I'm watching the replay as I speak. There is no receiver within five yards of this pass as he is going down in the end zone and his hand is still touching the ground before he even gets rid of the ball and it bounces off a defender's shoulder pad and it goes out the back of the end zone. It was intentional grounding. It should have been a safety. It was a roughing the passer call with targeting that was overturned to give Bryce Young the opportunity to not have a pass. And Texas ends up losing the game. Granted, yes, should they have made a stop? And did Bryce Young almost get sacked? Absolutely. Absolutely. I stand by that 100%. Texas should have still been able to make a stop and come out with that momentum of, yes, we we punted them. We got another extra point, or we got another field goal. We're moving through. We're still holding the best team in the country. Texas's secondary did not allow Bryce Young to hit as many deep balls as Bryce Young does. And that is a Texas secondary, is a Big 12 secondary. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the Big 12 is not, not at all known for their secondaries. But I think that was one of the best performances defensively that Texas has had within the last eight years. And also, that is just one of the best consistent performances. But Alabama, nonetheless, only dropped one spot there at number two. I'm sorry for the long tirade. Ohio State rounds out at number three. Big win against Notre Dame at the beginning of the season. Notre Dame held them 21-10, to 10, and I thought this margin was going to be a lot, lot farther than I thought. I thought Ohio State was going to come in and steamroll with the offense that they have. I mean, holy cow. you got C.J. Stroud. You've got Malene Williams. And then you've got Harrison Jr. on the outside edge. Or Harrison Jr. as a receiver, and then you got William, uh, Williams as well. I mixed that up again. Gosh darn it. Harrison Jr. on the outside edge. And then you've got Williams as the running back. I mean, you look at this Ohio State team up to down, and they look like they could compare offensively to Georgia with the amount of talent that they have. Are they going to compete with Georgia? Only time will tell. I believe that Ryan Day has this team built to win the Big Ten once again and be able to contain an SEC offense. Will it happen? We don't. Like I said, we don't know. I think Ohio State is definitely well-rounded and should be the number two team in the country. Throwing it to another Big Ten opponent here, Michigan is still holding strong. Michigan last year in the college football playoff didn't end up losing to Georgia. <clears throat> it was a, eh, it was a game. Okay, we'll we'll hold that there. We'll hold that thought. Michigan coming off three and zero start. Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, and this is where I'll get into another argument of, and with the idea of extending the college football playoff as well, because that is in that is in high talks, and it's looking to come through. I'm going to say this. If you are a top five team coming in preseason, or you think you're in the top ten coming into preseason, I understand that you need a tune-up game, or you need a kind of morale game, and I hate calling it that, because good Lord, if you were a number ten team in the country, your morale should be beating a top 25 team, I don't care who the hell it is. 
Notre Dame did it against Ohio, or Notre Dame scheduled Ohio State. They lost. That's fine. I give them so much more respect this year. I give Ohio State respect because you scheduled the top 10 team. I give Georgia respect. You scheduled Oregon. I gave Oregon respect. You scheduled BYU. I mean, holy crap. I mean, I think, like, shit. If you're looking at this from a standpoint of college football with the playoff, the strength of schedule matters still, quote-unquote still. You should be scheduling harder opponents in the first couple of weeks. I'm sorry, but if you're any, if you're especially anybody in the top ten, you should be scheduling games that are gonna are gonna punch you in the throat and say, "Okay, beat us or goodbye." Like, you don't deserve to be in the top ten, and and that's a that's a far statement. That is a far statement. I still believe that teams do deserve to be in the top ten. If they lose a close game in the week, that is against the ranked opponent. They come back, they beat another ranked opponent within the first two weeks. Yes, you still deserve to be in the top ten. Do you? Do you fall? Absolutely you do. If you lose to a ranked opponent or even an unranked opponent or, in this case, tie to or basically lose to an unranked opponent but win by a slight score margin, I still think you should drop. But at the same time, I think if you're constantly scheduling ranked opponents, that's fine. Clemson comes in at five, and this was, this was one of those things that shocked me this year, was Clemson is ranked extremely high for what they are. They do still have a very good offense. Their defense is what's going to really carry them through this year, I believe, as a Clemson, if you're a Clemson Tiger fan. Your defense is going to be there. You still have DJ Ungalalier, who is he's finding his stride a little bit better. So far within the first three weeks, he's got five passing touchdowns, 662 yards. And this isn't the, the best offense that Clemson has seen because Clemson has had some high-powered offenses. But still looking at that, as we're going to – Blow through this one now. Clemson, number five. Oklahoma, six. USC, seven. Lincoln-Riley campaign still starting off 3-0. Kentucky. Kentucky beats the Gators. Kentucky is a team that can compete. They're fast. They're they're skilled. They're, They're disciplined. Kentucky could be a team that could clutch up. Oklahoma State, they drop, but they're still 3-0 on the start. They're number 9. Arkansas, I put them up with Kentucky. I mean, you take a look at how both these two teams have stand or have stood through these first two weeks. You had Cincinnati who came to town or came to town in Fayetteville. You beat them by seven, and that's a good Cincinnati team still. Granted, they don't have Desmond Ritter, but that's still a good Cincinnati team. You got Texas AM coming up this week. Looking at that SEC East, it's Georgia and Kentucky so far battling it out. Tennessee is 3-0. Who would have thunk that? Or who would have thunk that as well? Like Tennessee is three and zero to start off. Arkansas leading the SEC West. Alabama is now three or three and zero. Arkansas, I think, could be a team that upsets Bama. Maybe Ole Miss three and zero as well. And we'll break that down a little bit later. Arkansas, another team that they got coming up later in the schedule is BYU, who has been a very good team so far so far this season with a couple of couple of close losses. Tennessee ranked 11, like I said, they're 3-0. NC State, 3-0, they're ranked 12th. Utah, 13. Penn State, 14. Oregon, 15. Ole Miss, 16. Baylor, 17. Washington is 18. They came out strong. I mean, they started out not ranked in the season, and now they're up on that 18. They beat Michigan State, number 11, and this is supposed to be another high-powered offense. It's Washington. They're trying to find maybe their way back. But they jump up to 18, BYU 19 after falling to Baylor last week. Florida falling to Kentucky. They moved down two spots to 20. Wake Forest to 20. Texas falls 
one spot as well. There are 22 in the top 25. Texas A&M, Pitt, Miami in that order round out 23 to 24. Looking at now for the schedule for week four of college football. Games tonight, or Thursday as you would call it, West Virginia versus Virginia Tech. That should be a very good game. West Virginia is going to be a scrappy team after you saw that pick game. West Virginia going to be a very scrappy team. Virginia Tech better be on their toes. Coastal Carolina, Georgia State, <clears throat> Chattanooga faces Illinois. On Friday, you've got Virginia versus Syracuse, Nevada, and Air Force. Boise State versus UTEP. Coming up on Saturday, number one, Georgia takes on Kent State. And this is where I'll make that argument again. But I'm, I'm going to hold Georgia to hopefully their SEC, SEC schedule stands. You've got Maryland and you've got Michigan. Michigan starting off their Big Ten play. Hopefully they can or looking to get a win as number four. First ranked battle of the weekend. Clemson number five takes on Wake Forest, and that game is going to be at Wake Forest in North Carolina. Central Michigan takes on number 14, Penn State. Baylor takes on Iowa State, number 17. Bears looking to try to keep continuing on that 3-0 run, make it 4-0 after Matt Campbell gets a big win against the the Iowa Hawkeyes, I mean, finally, the, the struggle buses of turnovers. Granted, it plagued them a little bit, but they they finally stopped. The rain the rain held up. There was a sunny sunny moment there. Matt Campbell and the Iowa State Hawkeyes got it done against Iowa, but they got Baylor coming to town. Pitt has Rhode Island, Auburn, Missouri, Bowling Green, Mississippi State. We'll kind of go down through. We'll pick out some of the big games here. Starting off with a Big 12 play. Texas versus Texas Tech. Texas still looking under that Steve Sarkeesian offense to try to be able to see if they can continue to build actually facing an opponent that is conference rival now and looking to see how they move against that. Florida, Tennessee. Can Tennessee go 4-0? I'm actually, Florida has played a little bit sloppy here, and as they played Kentucky, that was not, not the top performance for the Gators. I think Tennessee might be able to pull this one out, and they should start 4-0, and that would be huge for the Vols because volunteer fans have seen their program struggle for years and they're looking to be able to do it Oregon has Washington State Old Miss has Tulsa in another 16 and 15 game Arkansas Texas A&M number 10 versus number 23 Pig Suey looking to continue their run against another very good Texas A&M offense I think Arkansas gets it done they should be able to to continue to roll through other games coming up this week Ohio State has Wisconsin the big big rival as Ohio State looking to continue their run as a as a prolific offense so far this year. C.J. Stroud and Ryan Day looking to hope to start off Big Ten with a win. And going down the line here once more, that kind of wraps out any big, big, big kind of ranked matchup. Stanford and Washington, that should be a good matchup. USC and Lincoln Riley trying to continue their 3-0 start against Oregon State as well this weekend. And now <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to really choke this one down. Because it needs to be talked about. And I'm sorry. I'm going to go on the rant. Because it happened and RC's not, or JC's not here to, to give me shit about it. The Nebraska Cornhuskers have suffered. As a fan, we have suffered. I will say this. We did not go 10 straight losses in less than 10 point, or in less than 7 points. Or 10, I should say. Oklahoma came to town in Lincoln. The game started out hot. Nebraska gets a stop after losing head coach Scott Frost after he got fired. 
interim coach Mickey jo- or Mickey Joseph takes over, former Nebraska quarterback as well. Two former Nebraska quarterbacks now taking over as head coaches. But Mickey Joseph getting it, getting the opportunity to become the Nebraska head coach. It started off hot. The first quarter, Nebraska gets a big three and out. They score on the first drive, and everybody in in the Addy's bar that I was sitting out in Omaha was ecstatic. Well, our expectations were a little too high. Oklahoma blows us out fourteen to f- or forty nine to fourteen. Nebraska the week prior suffers another another heartbreaking loss to Georgia Southern, who and that also last week was the first time that an FCS conference has beaten three Power Five opponents. Marshall, and this was from the same conference. Marshall took down a ranked Notre Dame team. Texas A and M lost to Appalachian State. And Appalachian State, if you're a ranked team, I will tell you this. If you schedule Appalachian State, you better be ready to have your nuts in your throat the entire game. Because Appalachian State will come with a vengeance and they won't they won't slow down. And I feel bad for Troy on that tip pick from last week as well. When college game day came to Appalachian State for the first time in school history, and that was huge. But Texas A&M also lost to Appalachian State. Georgia Southern in the Sun Belt was able to take down Nebraska. <clears throat> the struggles continue. As a big red fan, you got to transfer in Casey Thompson. Your line does not protect. You can't just continue to hand the ball off to Anthony Grant consistently, and your defense is going to be broke. Our defense is, is fine. Secondary needs a lot of work. Mike Chenander should still be out the door, in my opinion. Because if you take a if you take a look at it, Scott Frost, yes, coaching career wise at Nebraska, sixteen of thirty nine, five of his twenty one losses. I believe it was five of twenty nine, but the majority of his his big key losses were the 10 or less. And that was nine consistent 10 or less losses. Granted, is that a coaching error? Absolutely. As a head coach, you should be able to get your guys up on the block. You should be able to get everybody there, but you're not hitting during practice. You're unfocused. You're undisciplined. And granted, I would have loved to see Scott Frost succeed. I really was hoping that he would be the saving grace that Nebraska needed. Fact of the matter was he wasn't. Fact of the matter is, too, I, I do I do agree with this point. The defense is not going to be able to make stops when they are constantly going through a carousel and being on the field. When they when they are constantly sitting there gassed after three and outs or turnovers, you cannot win a ball game that way. But also at the same time, when you do have a team back against the wall in the first half of the drive, and you then let them score and then let them get I believe if I take a look here at the scoreboard, which I really don't want to do, but I will. It was 35 to nothing going into halftime. You let a team literally score 35 unanswered points in the first half, and then you let them score 49 unanswered points in total. It's it's heartbreaking. As defense, that is that is a problem. I do I do feel for the defensive guys that are sitting there on on their hands and knees just begging to have an offense finally be able to stay on the field for them to to force turnovers, which they still do. 
But Nebraska has faced enough coaching struggles, and I think Mickey Joseph hopefully will be able to maybe get an offense a little bit rolling here. I would like to think that. Is it going to happen? We don't know. Because Nebraska still faces a Big Ten schedule that's going to be tough. As every Big Ten schedule is going to be tough. They've got Indiana coming up this week. That game is going to be in Lincoln. Or coming up in two weeks, they have a bye this week. October 1st, they've got Indiana coming to town. Then they go to Rutgers, Purdue. They face Illinois at home. They face Minnesota, who has given us struggles in the past. And then they face number four, Michigan, away at the big house, Wisconsin and Iowa. Who, by the way, how 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 is that quarterback situation treating you? And I can't speak much for it, but... Spencer Petras, the the stat came out that within the last nine games, you had one touchdown and eight interceptions from a quarterback, and Kirk Ferentz is still keeping him on the field. I find it shocking, and everybody else does too. But when you have that much faith in an Iowa team that has struggled so far this season, and by struggled I mean you were unable to score a touchdown in your first game by and winning with a touchdown against Iowa State, the offense was not there at all. Finally, you break out against University of Nevada, Reno, and the Wolfpack. And, I mean, there that's neither said here nor there. Like I said, I cannot speak personally um, on that opinion. But you know what? It's there. So, with that, that's how we run through the podcast. I mean, we've sat. I've sat here for an hour and 20 minutes talking about sports as best I can for the guys and the gals. Talking about how if you if you want to watch a new show, go watch House of the Dragon or go watch the the new series on um, Jeffrey Dahmer. There's a lot of great movie series out there, a lot of great series out there as well. I just restarted <laughs> last night. I finished the Big Bang Theory. And I'm a big I'm a big Big Bang Theory guy. <laughs> um I watched it when I was younger, when they first came out with the first season. Started watching it with my family, and it became a. I believe it was on Thursday nights on C, or on TBS when they came out with a new episode and watched it every week. Tried to at least, and then finally, when all these seasons started coming out, like I mean, me and my parents, we would sit down and watch it, and I finally watched again the season finale, and it 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 hurts because I mean it's a TV show that was been around for your childhood, and I mean you're sitting there watching it. Well, I got turned on to How I Met Your Mother. A couple years ago, before leaving for North Dakota to go play in the Northwoods. Wow. I really, okay, that was that was a weird flex, I guess. Wow, okay. Uh, scratch that. <laughs> Went up to North Dakota. Sorry, that was a weird flex. Um, where was I? How I Met Your Mother. Um, so, I got turned on to that by my, my cousin and her now husband and they were like okay you got to you got to watch this show like if you haven't already and we had like a little bit of a covid skit after after going to Okaboji and having some fun when covid first hit should we have done that no were we 20 at the time yes we're all of legal drinking age but were we 20 21 and dumb yes absolutely so went to Okaboji one of us had a scare of covid we all had quarantine we hadn't seen our parents since we left so me, my cousin, and her roommate and best friend out of both of us decided, hey, we're going to stay home and at her apartment. We quarantined in separate rooms, but because I spent the most time with my cousin, we we hung out during the day like more together because the other one felt more sick. And so we were just trying to keep each other away. 
So we ended up sitting in her room watching How I Met Your Mother for the entire day. And so then when I went up to North Dakota, I tried to keep finishing the series, finishing the series, finishing the series. Finally did it, ended up beating her to take back the series and finishing it. And then I finally started watching it again last night before going to bed. And, man, that is a good show. If you haven't started How I Met Your Mother, or if you have started it and you need a good show to rewatch, just go rewatch it. It's so much fun. You you got to love Neil Patrick Harris. You got to love him as Barney. You got to love that entire cast because it is just fun. And you you feel sorry for Ted because, let's face it, it's Ted. Granted, he's a lovesick puppy, and sometimes, yeah, it's annoying as shit. But, no, still, I love How I Met Your Mother. I need to I need to watch Modern Family. That's that's the one show that I have not like watched from my era that has been quote unquote the best comedic re- like TV show. So I need to watch How I Met Your or not How I Met Your Mother. I've already watched it. I'm probably gonna watch it again tonight. But I do need to watch Modern Family or at least try to start it. <clears throat> so if you need TV recommendations or if you got any, send us your way or send send them our way. And we'll try to send you the best that we can as well. And like I said, we went solo. We're dealing with a lot of schedule stuff. Um, schedule will be a lot tougher come October because, like I said, I'll be sitting in a tree. So depending on how the, the MLB game goes, I'll be focusing maybe on that more than deer. I'm just kidding. I would love to be able to focus on that, but I need to be able to focus on deer. So, with that, this wraps up the end of the Covert Show. We are an hour and 25 in, and oddly enough, can you think of a guy who's able to talk for an hour and 25 minutes and just not? Granted, he breaks train of thought a lot just because there, there's a slight shiny object that might fly around the room once in a while to catch my attention. But episode 37 of the Covert Show is going to come to a wrap as it's about 1.30 in the morning, and granted, I run on five hours of sleep, but dude... I probably should get to bed here. And will I probably go watch Star Wars Andor? Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see what I decide to do. But thank you guys for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. I greatly appreciated it. Wherever you are sitting from, we love bringing the show to you, whether we got the guys on or not. We do miss the guys, though. I mean, we we do miss the guys because we know what... um, we got JC, he's dealing with some schedule issues. We got RC, he's dealing with some schedule issues, and we're just chilling. So we're trying to bring you the best episodes that we can at the most timely manner that we can, so we greatly appreciate the patience. But also, let us know what you guys want us to talk about. If one of us has to go solo, give us some topics. Give us some ideas. Help us out. Help us lengthen the show out a little bit. If you like the longer-form shows, hit us with the idea, especially if we're going solo. Hit us with the ideas on that. If you guys appreciate the longer form when we're sitting with all three of us or two of us, hell yeah. We appreciate it. If you got long drives, go for it. If you got short drives and we want if you want a 10-minute show, I bet we could get you a 10-minute show. That's going to that's going to be a hard stretch. So please don't give us a 10-minute show. But no, we love doing it for you guys. We love bringing it to you. So hopefully you guys got all your college football, your MLB and your NFL stats in there. If you guys wanted some TV shows, we got that in there for you too. But thank you guys for joining on episode 37 of The Covert Show. This is Nick Hendricks.